Well, good morning, Cross Point Church. It is so good to see you here this morning. And I just want to echo what, what Spence has already said, but I want to say it again this morning. We welcome you in this place. We are glad that you are here. It is so exciting to be just gathering together with our faith family. And uh, I know that summer is sort of coming to an end, and we're beginning to get more into the routine, and it's good to see you here today. We also want to say a big welcome to all of our college students. Uh, I know that we have some that that, that sort of hold over during the summer, but we have a lot that are returning back. And then we also have some brand new ones here this morning, some that have just walked in for the first time. I had the, the privilege of meeting a lot of them. And so could this morning we say, Faith Family, to our college students, thank you for being here. Could we just welcome them here this morning? Amen. I'm pointing over here because this is where most of them will sit, but I know they're scattered all over the place here this morning. It is so good to see you here this morning. Our college ministry has been very busy this week, uh, moving freshmen in and, and just uh, engaging people on our campus. They have, they have really been all over our campus this week. And then Friday night, we had uh, an amazing time with our annual On the Front Lawn Carnival that we do uh, every year. And I know that a lot of connections and relationships were made there. And so we just are so excited about what God is doing in the life of our, of our college ministry. I also want to say, too, just to give you a bit of an update, most of us here today know that our, our children's wing of our new uh, uh, building is going up, and it's, it's, the roof is being put on. Amen. Amen. It's very exciting to see this building going up, and uh, I just want to share with you this morning, this will really sort of inspire you, I think, is, is that Monday, tomorrow, uh, the rest of the steel is going to arrive, and this week they're going to be erecting what is our new worship center as well. And so we're going to begin to see all of this come together. Uh, what's standing right now is, is really only about 25% of the entire facility. And so uh, God is, is doing some incredible things and just helping us get that thing to come along. And, and I can't wait over the next couple of weeks to just see uh, that building go up. But I do want to just remind us that that as excited as we are to see that new future home of Cross Point Church, that the church is not the building. Amen? The church is the people. And we know that here at Cross Point Church. We understand that that, that building, that concrete, that red steel, that sheetrock, and that, that carpet that's going to go down in that place, that is not the church. We're the church. And I'll tell you, uh, I couldn't be more excited about belonging in this faith family with you and just seeing what God's doing in the lives of so many, just witnessing what God's doing in the lives of some of our youth this morning as they follow through with baptism. God is, is on the move, and he's changing lives, and I couldn't be more excited. How many of you love Jesus this morning? Amen? Amen. Good to see you here. Callie, I want to talk to you after the service. I, I say, how many of you love Jesus, and this is what I get from Callie. There you go. All right. Uh, she knows more than anybody. I will call you out if I see behavior like that, right? So, uh, so excited to see her excited this morning. Let's pray, and we're going to dive into God's Word. God's got an amazing message for us this morning. So let's, uh, let's pray and go to, the, go to the Father and then prepare our hearts for uh, worship through God's Word. Pray with me if you will. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit of God, Lord, we do thank you for this faith family. God, we thank you for all those that are gathered in this place. Lord, whether uh, we have been here for uh, just ever, it seems, or we're new today for the first time. God, we're thankful for the privilege that we have to gather in this, this place and worship you in spirit and truth. 
God, we lift up our voices in song and adoration and praise for, for who you are. God, we worship you through our prayers. We worship you through our giving. And Father, now we worship you through the reading and the preaching of your word. Lord, I'm so thankful for what you're doing in this place, the life change that we see so often taking place here among us. Uh, Lord, thankful for the youth who have responded in, in, in just a spirit of obedience to, to be baptized this morning, and even one of our children in the first service. God, we're just so thankful for your presence in this place, and we recognize, God, that, Lord, we desperately need you. And so, Father, as we prepare to turn to your word this morning, I pray, God, that you would prepare our hearts, that you would help us to set aside every distraction that exists in our life right now. God, that we may be just so in tune to your voice and to your word, and God, to hear from you this morning. We love you, and we praise you in the name of Jesus. Amen. If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, go ahead and turn to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. If you weren't with us last week, we, uh, we started a new series called James 1, the testing of our faith or a testing of our faith. And, and what we're going to do over the next few weeks is just walk through this one chapter of the book of James. And it's so exciting. James is, is communicating some truth to us uh, that is, is really uh, important for us to understand. But I love what he's doing here because he's really just talking about certain issues and things that exist as we live out our life with practical Christianity that will in turn test us in who we are as followers of Jesus Christ. There are certain things that exist in our life that are a part of our life that as we live out our life, uh, that, that our faith is sometimes challenged. There are things that, that, that might be destructive to us for, uh, as, a, as a follower of Christ Jesus, and we want to be aware of those things. And so there may be things that really test us. Uh, I love hearing the children, don't you? Isn't that just so amazing? Because here's what I know. They are praising Jesus right now. So I, I don't think, I don't know if they heard y'all a while ago. Could we just give them a run for their money? How many of you love Jesus this morning? Yeah, they heard that. They heard that. In fact, all of them said, I think I heard my mama, you know, on that one. But uh, that's good. We'll just have a little, a little competition going back and forth with our children this morning. But, um, but I tell you, James is really challenging us uh, to consider these things that exist in our life that, that may test our faith. And one of the things that he brings to our attention this morning is the issue of money or wealth in our life. And so it's very important that we, we look at this and try to understand what it is that James is, is trying to teach us here. The message this morning is titled, What Money Can't Do For You. What money can't do for you. Most of us here today have probably heard the old saying, uh, money can't buy you happiness. A lot of people in our world would disagree with that statement, right? Especially if you don't have it. But, but what James does is he, he lays out this, this, this warning, if you will, uh, of, of, what, uh, of the dangers that exist when, when, when we think about finances in our life, when we think about money and primarily a pursuit of wealth. And so here, we, we see that these words are words that are, that are very challenging for us, but they're very encouraging in, in, in knowing that James is, is wanting to protect the church from losing sight of that which is most important, and that is Jesus Christ. Amen? And so this morning, we have a, a remarkable message from God's Word. Um, you know, it, it's pretty clear that, 
that, that Jesus laid out some dangers that exist in either having money, an abundance of wealth, or pursuing wealth if we're not careful. And so uh, I, don't, I don't believe that there's anything inherently wrong with having money. Uh, I, I think that, in fact, we see this all through Scripture, and we'll talk about this as we dive into it. But the, the reality is, is that what this text is going to teach us is that there are things that exist, there's these realities in our pursuit of jobs and careers and, and, and maybe even wealth that exist that if we're not careful will distract us from the, the main thing. And so that's what I believe is the heart of this message. You know, right after Jesus had encountered the rich young ruler, and most of us here today probably know this story where, where Jesus encountered this rich young ruler and he, he challenged this man who was, who was not following Jesus. He challenged him to go and sell everything he got, give it to the poor, and come follow me. And it says in the scriptures that this man, he walked away from Jesus in despair because for him, money was greater than Jesus, right? And so we know this story, but what we see here in the scriptures right after that is that Jesus then turns to his disciples and he asked something very profound. He says, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of heaven. So it's not really a question, it's more of a statement. But he says, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of heaven. And, and, and they didn't really know what to say. The disciples were astonished by these words. You see, there was this, this idea that existed in Jesus' day that those who had money pretty much were secure in their eternity, and those who didn't might have to really fight for it. And so that was the, the mentality that existed in Jesus' day. And so for him to say this was really profound to them. They didn't know what to say. And, and, and so they were astonished here. And then Jesus says to them, he says, children, how difficult is it to enter the kingdom of God? And he's just sort of laying it out there for them. And, and then he comes back with this, and we've probably, most of us have probably heard this saying, uh, this, this statement that he makes, but he says this, it is easier for a camel to enter through the eye of a needle than those with wealth to enter the kingdom of heaven. It is easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than it is for those with wealth to enter the kingdom of heaven. What does that mean? Now, he doesn't say it's impossible. He says it's easier. And we know that he doesn't mean that it's impossible because right after he makes this very profound statement, the, the disciples then respond, well, who in the world could ever get into heaven then? And he comes back with them and he says, well, those things that may be impossible for man are not impossible for God. And so he just lays it out there that salvation is in the hands of God. But no doubt he makes this statement about it being easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for those with money to enter the kingdom of heaven. What does that mean? I believe that's what James is addressing here this morning. And for every one of us here today. Now, some of you, some of you, especially some of you college students who, who maybe some of you, I'm assuming college students don't have money. The ones I typically know don't have much money, right? And, and so here's the thing. You're probably going, whew, I'm in good shape today, right? <laughs> uh, well, Maybe so. Uh, that's what James is going to be addressing here today. But let's look at this. Let's look at what he has to say. You know, um, not only did Jesus 
speak against this idea that the wealthy had a better standing with God in his encounter with the rich young ruler. He also addressed it with his disciples. But here in the, in the word, he makes it very clear that money, or especially this pursuit of it, this craving for it, this hunger for it, for money, will basically be detrimental to your walk with Christ. And that's what he's going to lay out there for us here in this passage. Read this with me, if you will, starting with verse 9, and we're going through verse 11. James says this, he says, Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation, and the rich in his humiliation. Because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flowers, or its flower falls, and its beauty perishes. And then James says this, he says, So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. I just recently watched a documentary called Team Fox Chaser. Apparently there's a movie that has come out. I haven't seen the movie. Uh, I watched the documentary. I like to know what the truth is about a movie that's based on truth. <laughs> you know, and then I, not that a documentary might necessarily not be. Anyway, the, the, the documentary is called Team Fox Catcher. And it is really interesting. If you haven't seen it, you ought to check it out. But it's, uh, it's a story of a man named John DuPont who was a very wealthy heir to the DuPont fortune. Okay, he's a very wealthy man, and uh, John was a guy who who sort of grew up. He was a bit socially awkward. Uh, his parents had divorced at a very early age, and his dad had basically moved away and and all but disowned him. And he lived alone with his mother, and he didn't have a lot of friends because he was sort of isolated on this this huge uh, this huge uh, plantation, if you will, or this farm. Uh, he, he lived alone there with his mother, and so. Uh, this was John's life, but John took a liking to sports, and he, he always dreamed of, of winning the Olympics, and, and, and so he pursued a lot of different sports. He, he, he began to swim. He began to fence. He, he, did, he ran track and field, and he just did different things, hoping to, hoping to really win a gold medal one day, but, but, but uh, an athlete, John really wasn't. He didn't have what it took to be an Olympic champion. And so years later, his mother died, and, 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 and the fortune was left to him. And, and here's this man was. He had all the wealth that a person could ever hope for. And, and what he did was he decided to build a training center on his place, on his, his estate there, to build a training center. And he invited athletes from all over the country to come and train there. He invited swimmers, he invited triathletes, he invited uh, wrestlers. He was really fascinated with wrestling. And so he got all of these people who had the potential to be gold medalists in the Olympics and he brought them in for training. And it was there that they began to train and, and they really excelled in their sports. I mean, these were true champions that he was investing in. And one of the things that John really just sort of came to, 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 to really resent was the reality that all these people that were now on his estate being, you know, supported by his money. And, and many of these people actually liked John. They were actually friends with him. But all these people started winning these gold medals and they began to win world championships. And these were the people that John really dreamed about being. And quite honestly, it drove him crazy. 
He invested all this money. He, he, he got to a place where he didn't know who his friends were. He didn't know if they liked him because of their money that he was giving him or if they genuinely, truly liked him as a friend. But over time, it drove him crazy. Over time, it really messed with his mind until the point came where he began to see these athletes as threats living on his estate. And there was one wrestler in particular, a gold medalist world champion named David Schultz, who was, who was set to be the next gold Olympian at the, at the next Olympics, which were just months away. And John, in his rage of insanity, you might say, he goes out to the estate, he drives up to D David Schultz, and as David, who was his closest confidant, comes walking out, he shoots him three times and kills him. Lost his mind. You see, he thought his money could buy him everything that he needed, everything that he wanted. Here was a man who had everything, but who also had nothing. When I look at this passage that James is writing, especially this last verse, I think of John DuPont. Here's what it says. It says, So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. James is laying out something that is very important for us to understand that money can't buy happiness that money is not the means to all things James is is basically unveiling for us the reality that exists that money can actually harm our way of thinking that money can distract us that money can mislead us and this is what he is revealing in this text. You know, as, as I look at this, I think there's perhaps no other area of our life, no other area of our life, and I'm speaking of believers, as followers of Christ Jesus, I don't think there's any other area of our life that will tempt us and persuade us away from Jesus more than money. It just won't. John D. Rockefeller, he once said this. He said, the poorest man I know is the man who has nothing but money. The poorest man I know is the man who has nothing but money. Boy, those children are giving us a run for our money, aren't they? I've never heard them this much. I, it must be. How many of you love Jesus this morning? We're, we're going to win this contest. I don't know what's going on over there, but uh, it's, it's good. I love it. Hey, in our text here, what James is doing, he's basically contrasting those who don't have money with those who do. And, he, he, he's, and let me just say this. As we get into this, it, it, it's not that he's saying one is better than the other. He's not saying that. He's not saying that Jesus loves one group better than the other group. He's not saying that. He's just simply laying out for us something to be very aware of. And that's what I want us to see as we dive into this text this morning. Now there's two things, two different groups that James is, 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 is pointing to here. He's, he's, he's talking to, he's having conversation with here. 
The first group is those who have little money or those who may be living in poverty. In their day, you either had the richest of rich or you, you, you had those who were just basically in poverty. You didn't have the different classes like we see today where you had the middle class or the upper middle class. You didn't have those sorts of things. So he's basically saying to those who are living in poverty, he has a very powerful message for them. He, he's basically saying to them, those of you who, who, who don't have any money, he says, listen, be excited about this. And this is what he says. He says, recognize the treasure that you have in your poverty. He says, recognize the treasure that you have in your poverty. Now, a lot of you, I know you're probably <laughs> like me. You're like, oh, well, I can relate to this one now. Praise God, there's treasure in what I don't have, right? And, and so, but that's really what he's saying. Look at what he says here. He says, let the lowly boast. Let the lowly brother boast. Let him be joyful. Let him, let, and, and we, we, we know he's talking about money because the very next thing he talks about is the rich. So he's talking about on one end you have the rich, but he's talking first to those without the money. And he says, listen, let those without money rejoice in their poverty because their poverty in and of itself is the treasure. Now, I know that goes against our culture. I know that doesn't, that doesn't really resonate with our way of thinking, doesn't it? We, we, we typically think of those without money and don't have any money as, as being the ones that need to get to the same place with those who have the money. But what the Word of God is saying here is let the lowly, let those who are without rejoice because what he's pointing to is this treasure that they have in their poverty. We're going to know that as we continue to read. James is basically saying, don't envy the rich. Don't envy those who have money because you're better off. That doesn't make sense, does it? That doesn't make sense. Not the way our culture thinks, but that's what the Word of God is saying. He's saying the treasure you have is your lack of money. And basically what he's saying is he's saying you'll be better off without it. Now, remember what Jesus says. It is easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than someone with wealth to enter the kingdom of God. James is saying you're better off not to have it because that stuff will mess you up. That's what he's saying. I started looking at this, I started wondering, you know, who else might have said something like this? I mean, this is James, the, the, the brother of Jesus that's saying this, but who else might have spoke about this? And, and, you know, first of all, I'm hoping that Jesus had something to say about this to back up what his brother was saying, and he did. In Revelation, we see where Jesus is speaking to the church in Smyrna, and this is what he says. He says, I know about your suffering, and I love how he ties suffering to poverty because most of us that are here today, if we're, if we're dealing with a lack of finances, we would pretty much acknowledge that as suffering, wouldn't we? We, we feel the suffering, we feel the pain, we feel the trial that we're in when we can't pay our bills, when we find ourselves struggling to make ends meet. And so here Jesus, as he's speaking to the church in Smyrna, he says to them, I know of your suffering and your poverty, but what does Jesus say? He says, but you are rich. Wait a minute. I don't have any money, but you're rich. 
Why would Jesus say that? Because Jesus knows the dangers of an abundance of wealth or the pursuit of wealth. The dangers are real. You know, Paul, when he was praying for the Ephesians one time, he was wanting them to see what their real treasure was. Paul was, Paul was praying for them, and he's wanting them to see that the real treasure is not that almighty dollar. He wanted them to see that the treasure was Jesus. And so in this prayer that he prays for them, he prays this. He says, he says having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. You know what Paul is praying for? He's praying that they wouldn't be blinded to worldliness. That they wouldn't be blinded by the things that distract us from the real thing. That the eyes of their heart would be open, that they would see that Jesus is what we need to be offering to people, not this pursuit of money. And yet our culture, our culture seems to think we can't do without it. Our culture seems to think that you know, if we have more of it, we can do more with it, even for the glory of God. And there's this, there's this pursuit of money that seems to be driving us instead of a pursuit of just loving Jesus. That's what James is talking about. It's almost as though he's saying the blessing of those in poverty is that they can see Jesus more clearly. Those who are without they can see Jesus more clearly. That seems to be what he says. And you know, I've been to, I've been to third world countries all over this world. I, I, I've been to third world countries where some of the greatest worshipers of Jesus I've ever seen were people who had not a dollar to their name. In fact, God called me to ministry while on a trip where I looked around and I was as discontent with life and empty as I could be and I looked at people who loved Jesus more than me who I was there to help because they had nothing and what they taught me is that they had everything and I had nothing. I remember the tears that streamed down my face coming to the realization that I wasn't rich. They were. Surrendering my life to Jesus. So James says to the lowly, don't be distracted by money. You've got the real treasure in your poverty. And then he says to those who have money, to those who are in pursuit of money, for those who are wanting more money, he says to this group, this is what he basically says. He says, you need to recognize the temporary nature of your wealth. You need to recognize the temporary nature of your wealth. You see, we have people who build their entire lives based off of how much money they are going to make or they are making and, and what they're going to do with it. But it always starts with the money. And what James seems to be saying here, he says as he, as he deals with, with, with the one group, and he says, listen, your treasure is in your poverty. He says to the other one, you, you better recognize the reality that 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 money won't last forever. 
And this is where he comes from. He says, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises and its scorching heat will wither the grass and its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. James is not criticizing people with money. James isn't criticizing. He's not, he's not saying shame on you. He's not saying that. The Bible speaks of a lot of people who, who live for, for God. You know, you have people like Abraham and King David and even Job who were very wealthy people who had a, a true heart for God. James isn't criticizing people with money. I want us to be real clear here. He's not even pursuing living your life where you may be gaining more money. He's not, he's not criticizing that. He's not speaking against that. He's simply pointing out that your wealth will not last. And so the word challenges us to consider what it is that we are building our foundation upon. I've heard it said about people before that have died with a lot of money. I heard this said many times. Well, he died a wealthy man. No, he didn't. He died, and then he stood before his maker and his judge with absolutely nothing but what lied in front of him for eternity. That's where he was at. He was not a wealthy man. You can't take it with you. And he stands before Jesus. And I would pray for each and every one of us that's in this room today, that every single one of us in this room today that the words that we would hear from Jesus would be well done, good and faithful servant. But that may not always be the case. James is not saying that Jesus doesn't like rich people. You see, for Jesus, it was always a matter of the heart. He didn't care whether you had money or not. He just cared what, what your heart said. What your motivation was. What it was that you were longing for. We, we know that Jesus, it, it wasn't that he, he, was, he didn't like, he didn't like poor people better than he liked rich people. He mattered what was going on there in the heart. 2 Corinthians 9, 7 says this. says each one of us, that's a very individual thing, isn't it? Each one of us, must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. Look at this. For God loves a cheerful giver. But if you're going to be a cheerful, if you're going to be a giver, you got to have something to give, right? It's not a matter of whether you have money or not that, that Jesus decides whether or not he likes you. He, he, he matters about what your heart says, what your heart speaks, what what, what it is that's going on in your heart. And the Word of God points out to us that God loves a cheerful giver. Some of the most generous people I know have more money than the universe. I just don't, I don't even understand. I mean, they just have a lot of money. Some of the most generous people I know 
Some of the most generous people I know also have nothing to their name. And God loves each and every one of them equally the same. You know, what James is really dealing with here, what he's pointing out to us is this, this issue of really materialism. And, and I want to say this, materialism has nothing to do with what we have. Materialism doesn't have anything to do with what we have, but it has everything to do with how we think about what we want. That's what materialism deals with. It's what the heart longs for. It's what the heart is after. Materialism is a craving to have more money and wealth. Authentic Christianity is the craving to have more Jesus. To have more Jesus. So what does this have to do with us? has everything to do with us. Because it doesn't matter where our financial standing is here today. We all find ourselves facing the same challenges that lie ahead. And James says one of the things in this world that will challenge your faith is either the abundance of money that you have or the pursuit of money that you don't have. And the word from James is basically... Be careful. Be careful. I want to offer real quickly three, I guess, thoughts of application here as we close out this service. Things that we can put in our pocket and take with us today. Very practical things that we can be, that we can take with us to, to really challenge ourselves throughout the week. The first one is this. As believers in Jesus Christ, let us ensure that our hearts are always in the right place. As disciples, as children of God, let us always be ensured that our hearts are in the right place. In Luke chapter 12, Jesus is presenting a parable to a very large crowd. Jesus was at a place in his ministry where lots of people were coming. And it says here in this, this passage that there were literally thousands of people gathered around Jesus to hear what this, this man, this prophet, this rabbi, this teacher, this savior had to say. And Jesus begins to teach them. And he opens his mouth and he, I mean, he's Jesus. He can say whatever he wants. He can teach whatever he feels led to teach. And he begins to present to them a parable dealing with wealth. Of all the things that Jesus could have brought to the table, of all the things that he could have presented to the crowd that had gathered before him, he starts talking about the dangers of money. He says this, he says, the land of a rich man produced plentiful. And he thought of himself, to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this, I will tear down my barns and I will build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grains and my goods and I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. 
But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is this the one who lays up treasures for himself and is not rich, I love this, towards God? Everything that every one of us in this room have is a blessing from the Lord. Amen? How many of you believe that? From the least of the least to the richest in this room, everything we have is from the Lord. You may, not, you may be here today and you may not believe that, but that's what I believe to be a reality. Every blessing, every dollar, every nickel that we have, I mean, who counts pennies these days, right? Every penny that we have is a blessing from the Lord. And what Jesus says to the crowd is this. What is your pursuit? Money? If we'll do this, we'll have more money and we can do this with... Does it begin with money or does it begin with Jesus? Does it begin with Jesus? Is our riches projected toward God? Or do we build for ourselves kingdom so that we can say relax eat drink and be merry so let us ensure that our hearts are in the right place the second thing is let us be cheerful givers of whatever it is that God has given us we've already read where the word of God teaches us that God loves a cheerful giver let it be a heart issue let our hearts be drawn closer to him let us let our souls fall more in love with Jesus. So that as we recognize that every blessing that we have in this world, we owe to Him. That we would be drawn to be cheerful givers rather than to just give out of dutiful obedience. If you're given here today because you're pastor thinks that you should give 10% you are given for the wrong reasons you should give because you love Jesus you should give because you recognize the gift is not nearly as great as the giver and then finally let us pursue Jesus let us pursue Christ above all other things. There were so many passages of Scripture pointing to this, to this bit of application, this practical truth that it was really hard to sort of figure out what I would say here today. But I want to give you three. Close with these. Psalm 63, 1. The psalmist says, Oh God, you are my God. And I earnestly search for you. My soul thirsts for you. My whole body longs for you in this parched and weary land where there is no water. Let us long for more of Jesus. Let us hunger and thirst for his righteousness. Hebrews 11:6b says this, anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him.
Matthew 5, 6, Jesus says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for his righteousness, for they are the ones who will be satisfied. Money can't buy you that. Jesus can. Every one of us face a transitional day of our life every morning when we wake up. And my prayer is that the greatest pursuit that we have in our hearts is to pursue after Jesus and his righteousness. To love God, to love people. That's my prayer. In just a moment, I'm going to pray, and our pastors are going to come up front. If, if you want one of our pastors to pray with you, if you're dealing with something today, they are here to just minister to you. I'll be on the front row if you want to come and, and speak to me. I hope to meet some of our college students today that are here for the first time and, and, uh, and, and, and really practice at remembering your name before next week. You know, I love doing that. The, the, the odds are I will forget every one of them, but I'll, I'll, I'll try. But this morning as we pursue Jesus, maybe the greatest act of worship that stands before us today is to come to this altar and just ask God to help eliminate the distractions in our life so that our foundation will be built upon Him and His Word. That we would be strong in that which is the strongest of all foundations that we would pursue, pursue Jesus over everything else that we pursue in this lifetime. So if you want to come and pray this morning and just ask God to just meet you in this place and to do something substantial in your life, then you come and pray. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you, Father, for all that you are. Thank you for your presence in our life, and God, how your word seems to, to show us so often. God, the things that so easily distract us in our life. Father, I pray that we as, as followers of Christ would never place anything above you. And certainly not the pursuit of another dollar. Father, we love you and we praise you. Lord, I pray that as we, as we grow and we mature as believers in Christ Jesus, that no matter where we find ourselves financially, Lord, that our hearts would want to give because of the love that we have for you. That the message that we would want to share would be a message of, of hope that can be found in Jesus Christ. Let not our conversation so easily bounce to something else other than who you are. Father, your word teaches us that Jesus Christ is the author and the perfecter of our faith. Father, I pray that we would be able to stay focused on him as we begin a new school year. Father, we love you. We praise you. We worship you. We adore you. And Lord, I pray that each and every one of us would continue to pursue you this morning.
through song or through prayer. So we ask you to guide us through life. In Christ Jesus, we pray. Amen.